Okay, we are reading in Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16, and we're going to start from verse 11. So putting out to sea from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and on the day following to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the leading city of the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony, and we're staying in this city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to a riverside where we were supposing that there would be a place of prayer. And we sat down and began speaking to the women who had assembled. A woman named Lydia uh, from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabric, a worshiper of God, was listening. And the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household had been baptized, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Okay. So last week we had mentioned this portion that, that remember, they had just traveled about 350 miles with no ministry, no ministry opportunity through these mountains of northern Asia Minor, which is our present-day Turkey. And finally, when they... they, when they arrive in Troas, Paul sees a vision in the night, and it's confirmed by his companions because they conclude that they are to go straight to Macedonia because of what he had seen in that vision. And when they head out there, they get to the city of Philippi, which was not the capital city, but a leading city of that particular district of Macedonia. There were four or five districts. Philippi was a leading city of that district. Philippi happened to be a Roman colony, one of about about six or seven cities that was a Roman colony outside of Italy, so that if you were born in Philippi, you were considered a Roman citizen, just as as Saul was born in Tarsus, made him a Roman citizen. And that city apparently did not have a large enough Jewish contingent to have a, a synagogue. To have a synagogue, you had to have ten Jewish men. And it's called a minion. And even to this day, if you go into a synagogue, if you go into an Orthodox synagogue, they cannot open the Torah scrolls to read them unless there's ten Jewish men present there. And, and uh, only when there's ten men present can they open the, the scrolls. And in fact, I have seen that myself where, where uh, I was invited to an Orthodox synagogue at one time and uh, uh, it was only when the tenth man came, and the tenth man happened to be me, walked in. Everybody got very happy, because now there were ten Jewish men there, and they could open the scrolls. It doesn't matter how many Jewish women are there. There has to be ten men. And that may sound very bad, but that is a tradition that goes way, way back. And that's just, and it's not scriptural, but it's rabbinic tradition. And they observe that. And... That actually held even at this time where there had to be a certain number of men to have a synagogue. But also what rabbinic tradition had said, and that was evident at this time, was that if there is not enough, then you find a a flat, grassy place by a nearby river and hold your Sabbath day service there. And so that's why it says, and on the Sabbath day we went outside the gate to a riverside where we were supposing that there would be a place of prayer. So they knew that since there was no synagogue in the city, Paul, by his normal standard, 
would minister to the Jew first, and they went out looking for where that place of prayer would be on the Sabbath day, knowing that if there were any Jews in the city, they would be congregating at a, at a grassy area near, at a nearby river. And so they went to the riverside, they find it, and they sat down and they began speaking to the women who had assembled. So interestingly, there were only women in this little group, and they couldn't have their own synagogue, of course, because they were only women, so they would meet there for prayer. And it says, we sat down and began speaking to the women who had assembled. And we looked last time at how Luke joined them in Troas, or somewhere shortly before that, and now it turns from they to we. So we have uh, Paul, Silas, Timothy, who had attended them up through since verse 1 of this chapter, and now Luke. Luke is with them. And it says, and we began speaking to the women who had assembled. So they're sitting in little groups, and they're speaking to the women. And it says, we began speaking to the women. So Luke and Timothy, Silas and Paul, were all speaking to the women. So it was a casual conversation. They take up speaking about the Lord. But over time, eventually, Paul starts speaking in a way that people start responding. And you will find that if you have sometimes groups of people, there may be one who is a particularly gifted speaker. And people will begin to, to set their attention on that person. And, and the Bible clearly talks about uh, gifts of teaching. And Paul was speaking because it says in verse 14, a woman named Lydia of the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics. Now, this purple fabric, apparently from the city of Thyatira, was, uh, uh, was actually quite valuable. Lydia obviously was a wealthy woman who had come to do business there in Philippi. The purple was used for, for the, the Roman togas, and so it was a very valuable type of cloth. And she was leading in these sales. And it says that she was a worshiper of God. We're not told whether she was a Jew or whether she was a Gentile of the gate who was a worshiper of God who, who followed the Jewish practices. One way or the other, she, she was uh, uh, a follower of the Jewish practices. That we know because it says she was a worshiper of God and, she, and was listening and the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. So Paul was speaking. She heard him. And as the Bible says, that, that uh, uh, the, word, the, the, the faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. She heard the word and she started to respond to the things spoken by Paul. And then it skips and it says, And when she and her household had been baptized. So obviously she had come to the point of believing in faith. And those of her household who were with her also believed and she and her household got baptized, which may include children of hers, may include uh, uh, her servants, people who worked in her home. And that's not unusual. Sometimes we, we, we think, how can, how can you know, one person affect their servants? It actually can, and there are cultures where people so respect the people that are over them that if the person who's over them believes... And this we hear about from missionaries, that in a village, if the leader of a village believes, sometimes the whole village will end up getting saved. So there's a real acceptance of this. And then she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. 
and she prevailed upon us. And I want to focus in on this now. She came to the Lord and she showed these four men hospitality. And it says that she invited them to stay in her home. And she says, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord. And in other words, I'm not a loose woman. If you judged me to be faithful to the Lord, if you feel that to be the case, then come into my home and stay, rather than staying in whatever rented facilities you're, you're staying at. And it says, and she prevailed upon us. Meaning that there was some urging. Now, maybe Paul was reluctant to do this because he didn't know her very well. Maybe because it wasn't just Paul, but it was four people. Maybe he didn't want to you know, burden her too heavily. But he prevailed upon her. I mean, she prevailed upon them and urged them to come in. This teaching of hospitality is what I want to focus on this morning because I think that it's really important that we get hold of this. We are, leaders of churches are instructed, both in Timothy and Titus, that they must have a spirit of hospitality. So leaders of churches have to have that. Pastors, leaders of churches, must be hospitable. It's just something that they're called to do, to be hospitable. But it's not just them. In, 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 uh, in Romans, if you look in Romans chapter 12... So we're going to look at, at some verses on, on this. In Romans chapter 12, there's some instruction to the church in general. And remember, that the Bible does not waste our time. Things are told to us for a reason. And things are told to us because they are good. They are good for the body of Christ. They are good for us. They make, they make us better people. They make us less selfish So in Romans chapter 12, verse 9, it says, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Not lagging behind in diligence. Fervent in spirit. Serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope. Persevering in tribulation. Devoted to prayer. Contributing to the needs of the saints. And practicing hospitality. You see that? It's giving instruction what we in the church are supposed to do. And just as it says we're to contribute to the needs of the saints, the church takes up offerings every Sunday. Very good at that in Baptist churches. Wouldn't forget to do that. You take up the offering. Well, right next to that, taking up the offering for the saints is practice hospitality. It doesn't say show hospitality once in a while. Show hospitality once a year. On Easter Sunday. It says you are to make that a practice. You are to make hospitality a practice. You say, well, I have no special gifting. Great. Practice hospitality. I have no special gifting in evangelism. But I evangelize all over the place. But I'm not terribly gifted. There are some men that are extremely gifted. In, in evangelism, Bill Bright, who started Campus Crusade, that man, it was said of him, could get into an elevator, meet a person, start witnessing to them, the elevator would get to its next stop, and that person was on their knees receiving the Lord. That's the kind of gift he had. If anyone but Billy Graham gave the same message that Billy Graham stands up and gives, you wouldn't see the response that that man has. He has a particular gifting. 
in evangelism. Nevertheless, the body of Christ in general is told to evangelize. We are told to practice hospitality. So you see, it's not an option. It doesn't say, if you feel like it, or if you're particularly gifted, or if you have a nice big house that you can show off well, then be hospitable. It says, no, you are to practice hospitality. Now let's look, let's think about the blessing that can come. So now we've established that we're to practice hospitality. It says the same thing in 1 Peter 4.9. It tells us again, lest anybody think, well, this is just one verse buried somewhere. It is not. But let's think about what happens. You know, there's an example that I give many times in my testimony. And I bring this up because it came up just last night. Uh, um, When I I was uh, a graduate student, and we had our first little apartment in married student housing, we would invite these, gra- these students to come into our home for Wednesday night meals. And Shireen would cook meals for them. So she's been cooking meals for students for a long time. When we were students, she was cooking meals for students. So she, it would, we would invite these students in, some of them believers, some of them not believers, and we would cook for them, and then we would always have a, a sharing time and a short Bible study. And many students would come, and we had this little apartment, we had a lot of people. And students, college students in particular, can be extremely messy. It is in their genetic makeup. It's something that happens at this stage of life. They can just be messy. And I would see them come in, and things were just sloppy. And what bothered me, it got to the point where my daughter would pick up the snow that fell off the guy's feet when they would come walking in out of the snow, and she would eat the snow that fell off their feet. And then one day, several days after the meeting, I saw her sitting on the couch chewing on a chicken bone. And she was like two years old. And it was because these guys would eat and they'd be laughing and talking and food would roll off their plates and roll behind the couch pillows and they would never even know it. And if I would forget to clean up behind the couch pillows after the the college guys left, there was food back there. And my daughter would eat that food and it bothered me so much that I... That, that, you know, I thought, well, maybe I shouldn't even have these meetings here because it's, it's messing up our little, little apartment. And God spoke to me from Proverbs chapter 14, verse 6. No, that's not it. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 4. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 4. Where no oxen are, the manger is clean, but much revenue comes by the strength of the ox. Where no oxen are, the manger is clean, but much revenue comes by the strength of the oxen. You think, well, what does that have to do with having people in your home? God spoke to me from that verse, and He was saying to my heart, you want to keep your little apartment clean? Don't invite anybody in. Because where no oxen are, the manger is clean. But if you want to see the building up of God in these young people's lives, and you want to see the strengthening of the ox, open your home. But much revenue comes by the strength of the ox. Things are going to get messy, but you'll see the building up of God in their homes. That verse was spoken to me when I was a graduate student. And from that day, I committed that our home would always be open to the ministry of the Lord. Always be open. And the reason I share that is, yesterday there was a wedding where Bill Roos got married. He graduated from Rice a couple of years ago. And the wedding was on campus. And several students who had been in this class came to that wedding. And so now they're off in graduate school. They're working. And... One young lady sat next to me who had been in this class for many years, and she said, you know, I invite people to my home one Sunday a month. 
I, I have a brunch for people from the church in my little apartment. And she said, many people were concerned that I would always serve lasagna while I have a white carpet. And I pulled out this verse, Proverbs chapter 14, verse 4, and I showed them that it's okay. Let things get messed up because we're serving the Lord. And then another guy who had been in the class who lives with a bunch of other guys in Dallas said, oh yeah, I invited all my colleagues at work and it turned out to be 40 teachers from work came over our home and we all cooked for them. And how it really ministered to them the things that they had learned about opening their home in hospitality. We are commanded to be hospitable. Even before I was married, when I was in graduate school for the first year, I wasn't married yet. I lived in graduate student housing, and I used to invite the guys on the floor into my room, and I would serve them chocolate, and I had hot chocolate. And I could always get guys in my room, and I would open my room because there's a blessing when you take what you have and you open it to others. Let's look at some of the blessings that come. Look in Matthew chapter 10, verse 42. Matthew 10:42. There is a blessing in obedience. Every blessing in the scriptures is coupled to some act of obedience. If you can ever find a blessing that's not coupled to an act of obedience, let me know. I'd like to find it because I haven't seen such a one. Matthew 10.42 And whoever, in the name of a disciple, gives to one of these little ones even a cup of cold water to drink, truly I say to you, he shall not lose his reward. You will get a reward if you even give a cup of cold water to someone in the name of being a disciple. Jesus couples that act of giving with a reward. You give it, you will get a reward, Jesus said. That's what he said. Look in Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. In fact, he couples this with people that are saved. Matthew chapter 25, reading from verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? The king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these my brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. And then to the other group that didn't show him this, in verse uh, uh, 45, he says, Then he will answer them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. I mean, these are pretty strong words. Jesus doesn't say, well, you know, if if you're nice, you you get a blessing. If you're not nice, you'll lose out on the blessing. I mean, he even couples it to being sent away into eternal hellfire. I mean, this is pretty strong. Great blessing there. Look over in 2 Samuel. This is back in the Old Testament, 2 Samuel. And so, it's past Deuteronomy and... and, uh, um, Several books past Deuteronomy. If you hit Kings and Chronicles, you've gone too far. So go to 2 Samuel chapter 6. 2 Samuel chapter 6. And let me set the stage for you. David is trying to move the ark from Hebron up to his, his, his new place, just, just right alongside there in Jerusalem. On the way, he doesn't move the ark properly. 
because he doesn't get the Levites to move the ark. There was a prescribed way to move it. He had forgotten the prescribed way. Nobody reminded him. In the process of the ark moving, one of the men moving it ends up dying because it was not moved in the prescribed way. And it says David becomes fearful and he doesn't know what to do. So the nearest house to the ark is, is the house of this man named Obed-Edom. And so David says, okay, just move, move the ark into there until we figure out what to do. And that's in, in 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 10. And David was unwilling to move the ark of the Lord into the city of David with him, but David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. So look at this. This is a Gentile. He's not a Jew. He's a Gentile. He's a Gittite. And they move the ark of God, you know, this holy ark, the presence of God. And, you know, this Gentile must have been like, (laughs) somebody was just moving this and died. What's going to happen to me? And they commandeer this guy's house. They move the ark in. You know, and and this guy's probably trying to keep his kids away. Because if the kids, you know, should look up under this, this thing that's draped over, I mean, they're in big trouble. Verse 11. Thus the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. The presence of God came into the man's house, and the Lord blessed his household, him and his entire household. You want the Lord in your home. You really want the Lord in your home. Because great blessing comes in when he comes. We are told in the scriptures that God dwells in the high and heavenly and in a humble and contrite heart. God fills the heart of His people. Those who receive Him, He fills. You want people coming into your home who know God, who love God, and not just people who know God and love God. Jesus said, when you invite people into your home, don't just invite those who can pay you back, but invite those who can't pay you back, and then you will receive blessings in heaven. The ark of God came into the house of Obed-Edom, and He was blessed. Look in verse 12. Now, it was told King David, saying, The Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him on account of the ark of God. And David went up and brought the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom into the city of David with gladness. So it was told to David, God has blessed this this Gentile, Obed-Edom, blessed everything he has, blessed his household. I don't know what the blessings were, but his children were just overflowing with joy that this kindness was filling his household, that his fields all of a sudden started to bear all this tremendous fruit. And just his household couldn't contain all the stuff that was there. There was tremendous blessing being poured out on his house because of God moving into his home. And David hears that. You know what he says? Get that ark out of his house and bring it up to the city of David. I want that blessing. I want believers in my home I want my home to minister to the lost. I want that blessing that comes by having people in my home. When you come to my home, I am blessed. I am blessed. My children are blessed. My children, there's, there's never a question that they're going to college. They never think, well, I don't know. Should I go to college? That never enters their mind. They are so surrounded with college students. This is just a natural progression of life. And they're so surrounded by smart college students that, that they feel like, hey, you know, these, is, these people are really amazing. And it, it, we are so blessed as a family by people coming into our home. I have forgotten how to do calculus. I mean, I, I could relearn it if I had to. 
And so when my kids bring me this stuff, it's like, oh, just the pain. You know, I've got to go back and look. Oh, yeah, this is how you, how you, 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 know, you integrate. And it, you don't do this for 30 years. You forget. And you say, well, in my job, don't I have to do that? I don't have to do any of this. I've come to such a level. Anything that needs to be done, I assign to a graduate student. Do this. They do it. And it comes back the answer. I don't have to do any of this anymore. I just order it to be done. And it's done. And you say, don't you have to check it? No. I mean, the computer checks it. It's, just, it's done. And, and uh, so when students come, I say, help them with their math. And then sometimes you guys mess it up. You can't even solve the 12-year-old's problems. But, <clears throat> but you, you, yeah, you didn't read the problem right. It, it's the problem's fault. <clears throat> yeah, I understand. So, but this is what you guys do. And, and, and uh, um, what was it, the, the, that program, Excel. I, I read things in Excel all the time. I never, never use Excel for plotting because Excel came out after I went to school. We wrote our own programs to do plotting. There were no canned packages. You wanted to plot something, you wrote your own program. We used to write in Fortran 4 and take our cards and run it through the machine after we printed out the cards. And we would write our own programs. And now you have this thing called Excel, which can plot it every different way. And so Ben needs this plotted out. So you guys come and you help Ben. This blesses me. It blesses me when you help me in this way. We get blessing as a family as you come into the home. When you minister Christ, you use your home, as meager as it may be, you will be blessed like the house of Obed-Edom. So, we are commanded to show hospitality. That we have seen. We are blessed by showing hospitality. And now let's see some other examples of this. Turn to Genesis chapter 18, the first book of the Bible. <clears throat> look, at, look at Abraham in Genesis chapter 18. Reading from verse 1, Genesis 18, verse 1. Now the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre while he was sitting at the door in the heat of the day. And when he lifted up his eyes and looked, behold, three men were standing opposite him. And when he saw them, he ran to the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, My Lord, if now I have found favor in your sight, please do not pass your servant by. Please let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. And I will bring a piece of bread that you may refresh yourselves. After that, you may go on since you have visited your servant. And they said, So do as you have said. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah and said, Quickly, prepare three measures of fine flour, knead it, and make bread cakes. <clears throat> Abraham also ran to, to the herd and took a tender and choice calf and gave it to the servants, and he hurried to prepare it. He took the curds and, and milk and a calf which he had prepared and placed it before them, and he was standing by them under the tree as they ate. <clears throat> Reading from, ver <clears throat> from verse 9. And they said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, There in the tent. And he said, I will surely return to you at this time next year, and behold, Sarah, your wife, will have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door, which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age, and Sarah was past childbearing. Okay, so three men. So, Mo, so Abraham is sitting by his tent. And all of a sudden, three men appear. He's probably dozing off, and all of a sudden, three men appear. And he runs to them, and he bows down to them, 
And it's probably an unusual thing, you know, sitting out in the middle of a desert, three men happen to walk up. And he says, come into my home. He says, would you please come into my home? He says, let me give you a little water and have your feet washed and rest yourselves under the tree. And he says, I'll bring you a piece of bread that you may refresh yourselves. And after that, you may go on your way since you visited your servant. And they said, so do as you have said. So look what he said. Come, come under this tree and sit. It's a great tree I have here right outside my tent. I want you to refresh yourselves with a little bit of water to have your feet washed. My servants will come and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. Let me bring you a little piece of bread, just a little bit. And they said, okay, do it. So what does he do? It says he hurries to the tent and he says, quickly prepare three measures of fine flour, knead it and make bread cakes. So he promised them a little bread, they agreed to it, and he makes bread cakes. Much more than they expected he was doing. Then it says that he ran to the herd and he took a tender choice calf and gave it to the servants and hurried to prepare it. So he finds a calf, a tender choice one, not you know, some old one with some big cancerous cyst, you know, that's on it, and let's serve that to the, you know, these strangers. Let's get rid of that one. We're going to save this good calf for, you know, our meal the next night. No, he takes the tenderest, choicest calf he can find and says, let's give it to the guests. If you've got a choice to spend money on yourself or another person to bless them, give the money to the other person. So, he gets the best calf he can find and he tells the servants to come, go and cook it. And remember, what he had told them was, just a little piece of bread and we'll get your feet washed. They said, okay. He's planning much more. This is a man who understands hospitality. And then he, he took curds and milk and the calf which he had prepared. So not just the calf, he curds, which are, which are sort of like our yogurt and, 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 uh, um, and milk. And he brought all of that. Remember, he promised them water and he's bringing them milk. And he placed it before them, and he was standing by them under the tree as they ate. So he let them eat first. The guests eat first. This is what I tell my kids. Let the guests take first. They are our guests. Let them take first. They're our guests. Now look at what comes to Abraham. Then they said, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, there in the tent. And he said, I will surely return at this time next year, and behold, Sarah, your wife, will have a son. How's that? I give you a meal, I get a son. What a blessing. There is blessing in hospitality over and over and over again. My home is blessed because of what my wife does in serving college students' meals. My home is blessed. If you don't come, I don't get a blessing. That's why you must come. We are greatly blessed by that. My children are blessed. My whole household is blessed. My career is blessed. My job is blessed. God doesn't just stop and say, well, you know, we'll just stop right here. No. He blessed the whole household of Obed-Edom. Why didn't God just say, you know, you gave us one calf, I'll give you ten. I'll really, you know, increase your herd by tenfold. He said, I'm going to give you a son. You're way past childbearing age here, but I'm going to give you a son. That is the blessing. Jesus was the same way. Look in Matthew chapter 14. Jesus was the same way. The scriptures show hospitality throughout. Matthew chapter 14, verse 13. Now when Jesus heard about 
John, he withdrew from there into the boat. Matthew chapter 14, verse 13. He withdrew from there into a boat to a secluded secluded place by himself. And when the people heard of it, they followed him on foot from the cities. So what happens? Jesus hears that his cousin John the Baptist, the man who baptized him, his cousin, had just been beheaded. The guy is full of sorrow. He goes off to be alone. While he's off being alone, people hear about it and they chase him down to be ministered to. And you'd think Jesus would say, enough, don't you, look at me, you know what I've been through? You know what I've been through? Just leave me alone right now. I just need some rest. I've, I've, I've healed enough of you. I've taken care of enough of you. I've served enough. Just leave me alone. Now is my time, you know, mine. No, Jesus was not like that. Look at what he does in verse 14. And when he went ashore, he saw a large crowd and he felt compassion for them and he healed their sick. And when it was evening, so now the whole day is consumed. Now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this place is desolate and the hour is already late. So send the crowds away that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said to them, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. Look at what Jesus does. He expects His disciples to show hospitality and be gracious. His disciples are tired too. Really tired. You think you're the only one who has to minister out of tiredness? You're not. This comes with being a believer. And they were exhausted. They said, send the people away. Let them go buy something to eat. Jesus, after all, says, no, we can't do that. You just say, go. Go to McDonald's, buy something, and then come to my house. No, we can't do that. This is not the way we are. This is not the way we are as a family, Jesus says. He says, you give them something to eat. And they said, where? They said, we have here only five loaves and two fish. And he said, bring them to me. And then, you know, he multiplies that. He says, I want you to take what little you have and give it. You may not have the nicest apartment. You may not have the nicest house. But you are expected to extend that to others. What little you have. You may not have the best. Well, I don't have a great meal. I can't invite people in. That's not a a good excuse. That's not a legitimate excuse. You take what little you have. You prepare it and you give it to others. And you will be blessed. We are commanded to do it. We are blessed if we do it. And we see the demonstration of it and the blessing that comes upon others' lives. And our own lives, if we show hospitality, like Lydia did. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the message that comes. How Lydia showed hospitality and prevailed upon them to stay in her home. And Father, I pray for these young people. That you would so get a hold of their hearts. That they would learn to show hospitality. That they would open what little they have to others, learn to show hospitality, and then in so doing that, that blessings would be called down upon their lives again and again and again because of their show of hospitality and giving toward others. Father, your grace abound upon them, I pray. Let them remember this message and so be greatly blessed and bless others in return. In the name of Jesus, amen.